0: friends lee henson hasty senior director of theological education funds development at the prestrian foundation that's a ministry of the committee on theological education uh, we're here on leading theologically with um maybe one of the coolest smartest most fun theological leaders i know <laughs> and i'm so excited that she's now i can call her you know a neighbor in louisville amy Moiseau, the reverend doctor i should say uh thanks for being here today amy
1: hey lee thanks to be glad to be with you thanks for having me on and uh, my head is very big now after that introduction oh
0: listen um amy yeah i i could say a lot more we'll put uh, a link uh in the chat to uh her bio which actually you can find at uh, the um backslash staff amy hyphen moiso um Amy has been uh, a leader in the Presbyterian Church. She's been a chaplain at uh, Santa Clara. Um, right, Santa Clara. Right, That's University. Right. That's right. You got Africa it. University. Um, she's a real ecumenist. She's been on uh, in many ecumenical sort of settings with the World Council, with our denomination. Um, she has a PhD in religion uh, from Vanderbilt Universities in homiletics, worked with uh, one of my other favorite people, uh, the Reverend Dr. John McClure, among others. Um, uh, she's from Portland, Oregon. She's a pastor's kid. She's a graduate of San Francisco Theological Seminary, served on their board, um, has been a student. You were a student at Basse. Uh, I was. And, mm-hmm.
1: Yep, did yeah. a master's in ecumenical studies there.
0: Right, right. And if folks, if you don't know Basse. You, uh, so it's just one of the thin places in this world of the outside of Geneva. Just a wonderful um, institute there, Ecumenical Institute. Um, she has been a campus minister. She has been an ecumenist. She just is. Uh, there's- She's also married to a president minister, Nolan Hazinka. I mean, you know, um, there's a lot of lot of a lot of church things going on here. But she also it loves the outdoors, loves to laugh. Um, and she does not shy away from conflict. And that's what we're here to talk about today, our faith in conflict. And we'd love to hear your questions, comments, um, throughout. Um, but Amy, I think, you know, this is coming and my audience expects it is to talk a little bit about your call today. There's been a lot of things yeah. that you do. Oh, I should mention wonderful gardener. She knows, I mean, the plants. Okay. Uh, I'll try to stop. Um, but uh, what is giving you life? What is making you come alive today? Maybe maybe the spring. I don't know. I'm just guessing.
1: <laughs> yeah, that is a good guess. Um, well, for starters, thank you, Lee, for all that introduction and some of that background. Um, it's helpful to me to hear all the things that I've done. It gives me lots of um, memories of things to talk about today and to share with folks about. Um The job that I'm in right now, let me just say a little bit about the Louisville Institute and what I'm doing. So I am the associate director of the Louisville Institute. It's based at Louisville Presbyterian Theological Seminary, as you well know. Mm -hmm. And um, our main mission is giving grants and fellowships to people who are doing research in religion and particularly around North American Christianity. Um, That sounds maybe sort of dry, but what that actually means in my daily life is that Applications come into our office from all over the US and Canada, from scholars and pastors and people who are very passionate about the church and its future and what it does in society and how it can be more just and equitable and how it can um, increase justice and, and equality and righteousness in the world. And I get to read all of those proposals and hear all the passions that people are bringing to their work and all the excitement. Um, that's actually happening out there in the country and and in North America um, that we don't always hear. In the church, we're so often hearing the, the down stories, the sad stories about churches closing or things are deteriorating or declining or whatever. And I get to see where the life is. I get to see all the new things that are happening in these applications and in these grantees. So we have pastors who are doing really exciting projects all around the country on immigrant churches or on what churches are doing to combat racism in hospital chaplaincy or um, to engage with um, online worship and what's happening with online worship and what does it mean and then we've got scholars who are in their phd programs thinking about the future of theological education and how it needs to change and what's working well and what needs to shift so that's making me come alive because it's really fun to be able to to see all those things that are happening. I wish that I had more time in, in my life to just share all these stories because it's a big source of hope.
0: 100% <laughs> of uh, um, uh, former director, um, the Reverend Dr. Edwin, uh, Ed, oh, Ed Aponte, oh, there it is. Um, also did a show talking a little bit more about the Louisville Institute and things are always on the chains. I changing, but I encourage folks to go and look, see what the grants are, read about them. You can read about what projects mm-hmm. are yep. going. Those sound like that's giving you life. That sound you're a baker. Also I've had some wonderful <laughs> bread that Amy has baked uh, in my home. You are somebody who nurtures life and others. And it sounds, I mean, this job that's, that's part of it. It's a call. It's not just a job. I mean, that's it's right. nurturing life. It's like, it's like tending to that plant or watching the yeast rise in the bread isn't it and yeah, and, it is. and it's good to hear your hope because people you know sometimes focus on the sort of bad news stories right so right. um yeah that seems like something yeah. that you, is that kind of what you're saying that's what's giving you life yeah, <laughs> yeah well
1: and, and in addition to sort of giving out these grants so people can do their projects we bring the people together so one of ah. the places where the where the life is is that we get to help people find each other who are doing interesting right. projects that can enrich each other. They don't have to be the same, but there, there happen to be lots of overlaps. We try to put people together in small groups for conversation that are maybe unusual conversation partners, mm-hmm. but where we see some overlap and it fosters this really interesting, just dialogue around what's happening, what could happen. Um, and it makes people feel less alone too. So pastors right. who are doing this work all across the country or US and Canada, They have a chance to really talk to others who are dealing with what are the immigration issues in your area? Is your church thinking about repurposing its building for housing? Like what what worked for you? What could work for us? Um, We had one last year, a woman who was working on a project again related to conflict over a stained glass window in their church that had a white Jesus. Right. So what do you do? How do you have that conversation together? Well, she can talk to other people who are having different kinds of conversations like that. Um, and it gets rid of some of that feeling of isolation among pastors or scholars who feel like they're the only ones doing it. We get to bring them together for that conversation. And that's that makes me alive too I love that
0: beautiful you know i I worship in a church where we have one of those we were just talking about that so I may need to read that project <laughs> and I no, want to no, welcome no. Aaron Hall Jenkins thanks for being here wherever you're in from uh, Collins. she
1: knows me from when we were three years old we met at church so she's oh a wow we see back.
0: see people she's got a Um, If you want to write me, you can join the fan club. I'm I'm not in a leadership role, but um, Amy, or maybe Aaron, we should be in touch with Aaron. Um, Collins, uh, I'm not going to pronounce this right, Ekaako from the Democratic Republic of Congo, um, Episcopal area of the UMC, Global Ministries Missionary, in a post-conflict reconstruction and development context. Um, I don't know if you know Collins, but... That's some people think conflict. That's a bad thing, or in, immediately, um, it's a bad thing. We're here to talk about faith and conflict. You did s- some work, I know, um, with your, uh, you know, academically. This is something you have thought about um, in terms of uh, your dissertation, standing in the breach or relational homiletic for conflicted times. I mean, this is something you have thought about. Would you say that? it's not, you would say it's not always a bad thing, or maybe it's an opportunity. When you see a conflict, what, what does it make you think in a church?
1: So let me start by saying um, a lot of the research that I did related to conflict in the church um, comes out of the Mennonite tradition and other peacemaking okay. traditions. So I want to just name outright that ecumenism matters a lot because we learn from each other and the, the Anabaptist tradition has a long history of trying to figure out how we do reconciliation and conflict mm. better. So um, kudos to them for all the work they've done and a lot of which I was able to pull into my, my dissertation. The primary thing that I want to start from is that when I speak to church groups or when I talk about um, conflict in churches, a lot of people, their initial reaction is to think of conflict as something bad and particularly even as something sinful, right? Because it doesn't feel good, right? Conflict feels bad. We've got all these verses in the Bible about God, blessed are the peacemakers and God wants peace and beat your swords into plowshares and all these kinds of things. So our understanding, first of all, is that conflict represents something gone wrong, right? Mm -hmm. And also that God doesn't want conflict. Mm -hmm. Well, that's because a lot of times we conflate that kind of conflict with war, with violence, with things Mm -hmm. that are very destructive. Mm -hmm. And what I learned in my research is that we can think about conflict in a different way within the context of faith in particular, but this actually comes out of conflict theory more generally, which is that conflict is sort of neutral, right? Conflict At a base level, and this comes out of conflict theory, is the tension we feel when we encounter something different. That's the Mm. basic definition of conflict, right? Mm. You want to go to a movie at 6.30 and I want to go to a movie that starts at 7 and we have a conflict over that, right? Or you use a fork and I use chopsticks. And so it's difference that we encounter that feels like, huh, I don't know what to do with this, right? You're a little different than me. That's what conflict is at a baseline. Well, that doesn't mean anything other than Mm. We're different from each other. Right. And we actually affirm that in the church, right? We affirm that right. God created us differently on purpose. So what does that mean for how we think theologically about what conflict is? Well, one way to think about it is to think that conflict can be destructive or constructive. Right. Mm. There there are destructive conflicts. So war, violence, solving problems with mm-hmm. with um destruction and destructive ways of orienting, those are not what God wants, right? But there are ways to think about conflict constructively, Okay. We get to deeper understanding of each other. We get to places of deeper um, engagement with something that changes how we think or changes the way we want to approach the world or opens up our eyes to something we hadn't seen before. We could probably all affirm that that's something that maybe God has in mind for us that that the diversity that we experience in the world is something that makes us richer and stronger. Um, so how we orient ourselves to conflict matters theologically, right? We have to think about what do we believe God is about in conflict? Um, and then how do we see conflict as something that can be enriching, something that can deepen honesty. If you think about conflict in relation to something like civil rights or something like, um, Mm -hmm. anti-slavery movements or, um, just any any number of different kinds of places where there was conflict that led to social change for the better. Those conflicts are constructive. They're toward a more just end. So conflict isn't always bad just because it doesn't feel good to us. Right. It can lead to these kinds of changes that are more in line with what God wants.
0: Um, I love that. I love the idea, and it, I think you said uh, it's how we how we orient ourselves to conflict matters theologically um and i i I made me think of you've probably heard this um and whether or not it's true um i had barbara brown taylor on the show and i didn't i didn't get to ask her but but it was sort of a hand-me-down story about how she does exegesis where she sort of it's like running her hand over you know a piece of wood and then finding the splinter and that's where she digs in Mm -hmm. i mean it's almost like
1: comfort could
0: be the the place to dig in Right, You know, in your community where there's a rub of some kind, right. you know, I mean, um, right now in, in Louisville and Kentucky, one of the places I know a lot of churches are digging in is around some transgender rights, you know, it, it has hit a spot, you know, and they're working on, there's faith leaders working on that. Is that, you're nodding with me. I'm, I'm yep. kind of checking myself if I'm getting it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm putting a quote in the um in the chat to have to have someone post into the public sure, chat. Sure, yeah. um, but this comes from one of those one of those Anabaptist people. And she says, Imagine how different our conflicts would be if we can move from an oh dear, how terrible, to what is God trying to say to us? Yeah. Like, think about like a, a church council meeting or a session meeting or something. If people mm-hmm. are disagreeing on whatever carpet mm-hmm. color or investment portfolios or whether or not to give Mm -hmm. away part of the land to something or whatever it is. What if in that moment it wasn't a bad sign that people were disagreeing, Mm -hmm. but a sign that God was calling us to dig in more deeply or to ask deeper questions in order to see what's actually happening in that moment. Again, I want to be clear, not all difference is equally good, right? right? So I would say if you've got somebody who's really strongly a white supremacist, it's, Fine to say no. We're not going to have that
0: conversation. Right.
1: You don't have to. You don't have to. Let there's in all there's some boundaries.
0: There's some boundaries here. Right.
1: right? And mm-hmm. and one of the easiest ways to frame that is to say, we don't we don't um, engage in sort of healthy difference if somebody is doing harm. Right. So mm-hmm. a baseline is, if there's harm being done, we can stop the conversation. We don't have to engage it at some right. deeper level. Right. Right. Um, so that's important it's important to set those boundaries you don't you don't say to somebody who's in the middle of an abusive situation well you just need to sit down and work out your differences right there's harm in mind you don't need to i mean there's harm happening harm you deal with the harm first and Mm -hmm. then you see what the possibilities are for conversation the other thing about this question of conflict being something that's productive um, for relationships right it's something that helps us learn more deeply about each other, learn about difference, maybe change ourselves mm-hmm. or have someone else hear from us in a way that makes them change, is that the resolution of the conflict isn't as high a priority as the relationship. Mm. Right. So So it's not so much that in every one of these circumstances, we have to find the exact right solution that everyone can get on board. We might, we'd like for that to be the answer, right? If you're having a church disagreement about something, it's helpful to get there, Mm -hmm. but it can be helpful too, to think, what is the kind of relationship we want to have together? How do we want to... How do we want to be together in this conflict? Because then you can put the relationships at the forefront. It resists polarization, right? Because you have to look at the person in front of you as a person, not just as an issue, right? Right. Um, And the polarization comes when you stop seeing the other person as a human. We have this a lot in our political life right now. So if you can say, we want to, we believe God calls us into relationships, Mm -hmm. And the relationships matter, and they may even matter more than resolution, quote unquote, resolution of a conflict, because the relationship and the nature of the relationship matters. That also means you can continue to, to disagree and still treat the other person as a human being. It also means that you can name things like harm and say, I need to step away from this because of harm that's being done, but without making the other person something not human. So, all of this conflict transformation work focuses on what's the nature of the relationships we want to have. So, that can be helpful in thinking theologically, too. And that actually became the heart of my dissertation in thinking about preaching, which is when you're confronted with something difficult to deal with in preaching one way to think about it is to say what is the nature of the relationships that i want to cultivate in this sermon
0: with the great, congregation
1: within the congregation that's
0: yeah. a great exegetical question i mean you know i'm i'm thinking as preachers get to we're midweek as you get to thursday into friday <laughs> you know it's it's wherever you are in your sermon whether you started or not i mean it's a great question to sort of check in and as you know what kind of relationship am i nurturing here you know what's mm-hmm. Um, and I love that. That's. I think it's something to remember. It's about relationship versus over taking priority over resolving. Because I think sometimes, particularly minister types, we like to sort of smooth things out if we can yeah. so, somehow or another, and not just leave things a little a little messier. Um, but that's life. That's that yeah. is the way relationships. Are. Um, that's well, I was going to uh, ask you like first steps, and, and that sounds like a first step. <laughs>
1: well, yeah. And I, I want to just name um, we have this person who's, paying, who's watching today from Congo. And I just want to say that part of, part of where this emerges in conflict theory and conflict transformation is out of international conflict situations in which agreements are made at the top level, but people at other levels in the society were not part of those conversations. So the relationships are not there. So mm-hmm. the peace agreement comes up here but the folks at the at the ground level who were in conflict weren't part of that process i'm not speaking specifically about congo but just in general in international mm-hmm. peacemaking this can happen and then the peace treaties don't take as well because the relationships at this level were never dealt with they were just sort of the peace was imposed from above and that's mm-hmm. one of the things to think about both in larger conflict situations like an international conflict or a national conflict but also in a congregation the pastor getting up and saying here's the answer doesn't always deal with the the nature of what's happening in the congregation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's also a different way to think about what preaching is and does, right? So preaching, a lot of us are used to thinking of preaching as this proclamation that comes from the pulpit and comes down or into the congregation. Yeah, I, th-
0: I see John Calvin at the, ref- at the reformers wall, like <laughs>
1: exactly, <laughs> exactly. Sort of this finger wagging thing. And, And my dissertation and some of the work that I did with John McClure is really focused on what does relational preaching look like, both how does preaching Mm. exhibit the kind of relationships we want, how do we talk in our sermons Mm. in a way that's the way we want people to talk to each other, but also... What way do we encourage people in the room to be in relationship with each other and with us? Not seeing ourselves as preachers as something outside, but as part of the congregation. Mm -hmm. So how do we bring in the voices of the congregation into the sermons? Because Mm -hmm. the relationships matter, not just me, the preacher, exegeting a text and telling you all what it means.
0: Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking of some of the collaborative preaching tools that McClure, you know, was working on back in the day. And, and I, I know that's really helpful. Um, what are some other kind of, what are some, some other hints or, or maybe some things for people to read? We can't do all this mm-hmm. in 30 minutes. I mean, are yeah. there resources for like, because I um, I know, um, I mean, I, I, every time I talk to a religious leader they you often, whether it's over coffee or on a walk or, uh, some other time that they're they're telling you about these difficult situations Definitely. and many of them you could frame them as a conflicted kind of situation right, and right. something came up there's so many different situations of course but what would yep. you point yeah. people toward
1: let me give you a few um i guess hints or tips that are very surface level but can be a starting point and then we've got a couple books that i can point you to um but i think one of the important things is when we are faced with a situation of conflict, be it in our home life, in our church life, in our work life, whatever that is, it's helpful to remember that we can choose how we want to respond, right? We Mm. don't have to just do a knee knee jerk reaction to what's happening. We can actually take a pause and think about what we want to do. So you can choose things like curiosity about what's going Mm. on. Or humility about what's going on, or vulnerability, or imagination. You can choose to say, uh, Hey, I have this, I want to think about this more deeply. Can we pause on this and come back to it? Or I see we only have two options in front of us right now. Can anyone think of a third? Like, can (laughs) you think of another way to do about this? And we do that instead of rushing to the things that are automatic for us in conflict, like right. avoidance or defensiveness or judgment um, or mm-hmm. critique. Like we can make a choice in that moment. We may not be able to make a choice about the emotion that we have in the moment, but we can make sure. a choice about the response. So that's a, mm-hmm. that's a thing that can be cultivated um, and it can be cultivated in congregations, right? Like as the pastor, you can model or help your congregation learn um uh, spiritual exercises that cultivate creativity right that mm-hmm. that push against bifurcation that are just this or this you know this choice or that choice and and can actually as a spiritual practice develop imagination or curiosity or creativity um, there's another spiritual practice that comes out of the Jesuit tradition called saving the other's proposition um, the short version of it is when someone else is sharing with you what they where they're coming, to Mm -hmm. some point, you do your best to understand from within their viewpoint, what they're trying to say. So you're not trying to poke holes in it, you're trying to say, okay, I may not agree with this, but what's the best version of this that I can understand? Mm -hmm. Um, And then you can sometimes find common ground there. Um, And then another big, this is a really tough one, especially for people who have deep religious conviction, but this comes out of interfaith dialogue too, as well as ecumenical dialogue. The best kinds of dialogues are ones where everyone comes in with a willingness to be changed by the conversation.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, we aren't good at that in a, in our religious traditions because we have something we believe and we believe it's right, and therefore we want to tell people about it. Right? This is a basic tenant, But the humility flip side of that is mm-hmm. we also believe that the person across from us is is has God in them, has Christ in them, Child so of God. Love they it. Have, right? They may have something to teach us. So we have to be willing to be changed by what they're going to say in as much as we think they should be changed by what we want to say. Right. So sure. that, that openness, that willingness to be changed is critical in these kinds of situations. It also means that these conversations are just not going to go anywhere. If you're having it with somebody who's not willing to be changed, right? So in this time of deep polarization, this is maybe the hardest part, is that because we've been so driven apart politically and socially in our country, we aren't willing to enter those conversations with any sort of uh, mutuality. And that makes them almost impossible. So this is not a Pollyanna, everything's going to be fine in the end kind of talk about Mm -hmm. conflict. This is really hard stuff. This is deep, difficult theological and spiritual work. Um, but it's also the only way forward. Right. Because the alternative is this group kills that group. Right. I mean, that's that's where this goes. If we can't figure out how to how to how to be together. Yep. There's one planet and we're all on it. So we're going to have to all be here. Or we're going to have to kill each other. So.
0: Right. We got a lot of models. I mean, I'm just thinking of the Ukrainian war. I mean, you know, the current political kind of atmosphere and context in the US. I mean, every internationally. I mean, there's so many places where things aren't being dealt with very well, and a church yeah. is a place to practice that. I love this idea of these as imagination, create or creativity, curiosity, vulnerability, humility. These are framing those as spiritual practices. I mean, mm-hmm. um, and 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 sort of being ready. The co- conflict is going to happen at some right. point. You it's know, so, happen. let's get it's ready.
1: I'm very sorry to tell you there's no way to avoid it. We're different. God made us different. Conflict is going to happen. It just is.
0: And and I keep thinking Genesis. I mean, it's like in the midst of that chaotic moment that actually, you know, creativity happens most. It's sort of what we crave. New life is born. So we should be excited about it. Um, Collins, um, I think back an earlier comment, I think I know the answer to this, but ask about top-down or bottom-up approaches to conflict resolution and the consequences. I don't know if you have anything to say about that.
1: Well, most of what I've read on on international conflict resolution um, would argue that the the <laughs> top-down just doesn't work in the right. long term. It looks good on paper. It might get the people at the top. I mean, this is true of any organization, right? If you get If you have a merger, if your company has a merger with some other company and the people at the top have a handshake and the people down below have no idea what's happening, that doesn't work very well. We're we're all very familiar with situations Mm -hmm. like this. There are situations where this happens with seminaries that are merging and the top top happens and the bottom is not in the loop Mm -hmm. in the ways that they want. And this is problematic. So the question is, how do we get
0: Mm -hmm. all
1: those layers in the conversation? We're not going to yep. make everybody happy. There are difficult decisions that have to be made in different places. But the mutuality of having the whole involved in the conversation tends to lend itself to better outcomes in the long term. That's the short answer.
0: Right. Well, there's so much more to learn. Um, and I know we ha- there was a couple of resources here. I'm just going to uh, make sure they're in the chat that you, that you mentioned. Um, yep and uh, for folks to follow up on. And, yep, and when those
1: pop up, I can say a little bit about what they are, too. Yeah, There's just two we,
0: books. We don't have a ton of time, but uh, yep. one is um, uh, a friend of mine, Ellen Ott Marshall. Yep. Um, and the other is, um, you, you can tell us about them.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the first one is, um, they're kind of coming out in two, in a couple chunks here, but the first <laughs> one is, um, John Paul Lederach, who is a Mennonite uh, person who's worked in international conflict, he's written a bunch of stuff, both at the in the sort of secular world, but also for the church. And his book, Reconcile Conflict Transformation for Ordinary Christians, is a real basic introduction to the kind of stuff I've been talking about today. Okay. It's really useful in a church. You can, like, it has hands-on activities. It has Bible studies. It has stuff that people can work through. So really great starting point for churches. Um, the other one, Eleanor Marshall's book, Introduction to Christian Ethics, um, is a is what it says. It's an introduction to Christian ethics, but it's a bit more of a deep dive on how conflict could be a mm-hmm. central question in ethics. And then it walks through sort of basic ethics theory through the lens of conflict transformation. So if you want a more deep dive into the theology and ethics behind these ways of approaching conflict, Eleanor Marshall's book is great for that. She's down at um, Emory.
0: right. Um, well, gosh, our time has run out. It goes way too fast. Thanks everyone for being here. I'm so glad Amy, I'd love for you, uh, in a moment to send us off with a charge of blessing. Um, particularly here in the midst of Lent and in the midst of everything that's going on, or if you'd be okay, I'd like to invite folks to come on uh, two weeks. I'll have a conversation with just, uh, you know, um, a uh, beloved uh, member of the Presbyterian Church broadly, uh, the Reverend uh, Paul Roberts, president of John C. Smith Seminary, will be with us. And then upcoming in April, Jan Edmonston from Presbyterian Charlotte. They're doing some really interesting work um, there in a number of areas. Um, and then Raj Nadella um, from Columbia Seminary in May around postcolonialism in the Bible. And then Chris Burton from Union Seminary, their leadership institute there. Um he's brand new. He will be with us then. Um, so I hope you'll plan to join us. But Amy, thanks again. Um once again, you've proven and shown others why we're in your fan club. I think um Nolan has been declared the president of the fan <laughs> club. And uh there's there's a lot of other people joining uh, just as we speak. Um and and such a such a gift to be in a relationship with you. You've you've shown uh, relationships do really do matter, and it's not always about the resolution. and um, And thanks for the work that you're doing with the Louisville Institute, friends. This will Amy would be a wonderful partner in the Louisville Institute, and who they put you in touch with. So I encourage you. You don't know about them to get to know about well, what they're doing and if it's not a fit for you maybe you know somebody on one of their programs is a fit for so please pass that on but thanks again amy and if you would bless us as we go sure
1: thanks lee it's been a pleasure so let us go out with this blessing friends as we go from this place remember that life is short mm. and we have but little time to gladden the hearts of those who travel this way with us So be swift to love and make haste to be kind. And may the love of God, creator, redeemer, and sustainer be with us all now and forever. And all God's people say, amen.
0: Amen, amen, amen. And uh, take good care, everyone. We'll see you soon.